It's time for episode 78 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 11th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that has sprung forward. Oh, I hate morning so much. Across the country from me is Dan Morin. I am Jason Snell. Hi, Dan Morin. Hi, Jason Snell. I am so relieved that it's now actually light, kind of late. This is Clockwise, the show where we talk about four tech topics in less than 30 minutes with two wonderful guests. Uh, a first timer on Clockwise to my left. Uh, she used to be at Twit. Now she is executive producer of Video at TechCrunch. Is that right, Sarah yeah, Lane? That's right. I, lo- I love how that that went up in that in that question mark yeah. kind of sing song voice. Yes, you got that exactly right, Jason. And to my left, uh, another first timer, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, Chicago Sun-Times tech columnist and everybody's favorite podcaster and industry figure, Andy Anatko. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dan. I will attempt to do nothing to live up to that intro. Since I introduced the show, I'm going to go first with a topic and then we'll move clockwise because that's the name of the show. Uh, one of the many things announced at the Apple event this week was HBO Now on Apple TV. Um, a- Apple actually led their event with Apple TV, which is fascinating because we've been told time and again that it's just a hobby. The hardware hasn't really been updated. The software hasn't really been updated. So I wanted to ask all you, is this a sign that Apple has some big plans for Apple TV or is this still just a hobby and the HBO thing was kind of a an aberration? Sarah, what do you think? Well, I think that uh, it's it's it's... Apple TV is is more than a hobby, and I think maybe they just like to keep that term going uh, because they were waiting for an announcement like this. But this is bigger than just the Apple TV getting exclusive access to HBO. I mean, this is this is a big win for the the, the so called cord cutters. I'm one of those people. I've been cobbling my my the way that I watch things on various set-top boxes for years now. And HBO Go is something that a lot of people are familiar with, but you, you, you've you never actually had legal access to anything on HBO in, unless you had a whole cable subscription. So HBO Now is honestly, hey, you have to like HBO content, but a lot of people do. They've got some huge, huge flagship shows, some of which are are starting new seasons next month. But this is this is a really big deal because the other networks are going to have to cut the same kind of deals. And if HBO Now has cut a deal with Apple TV, then I see other networks following suit. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a big deal. Um, it's it's interesting to me because I feel like the whole exclusive launch window thing, which I guess is three months here, um, is just enough time to sort of try and get, you know, try to lock people in. And they, they timed it perfectly, right? Because this is when all the HBO series are are sort of premiering. All the great shows. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I would say that... that I don't know if the hobby description is quite right anymore. I feel like maybe Apple TV and Apple have moved on from like casual dating to like go and steady. Um, but I don't it's hard to say because we like uh, like Jason, you said in the intro, the hardware and software has gotten only modest improvements in the last few years. I have a second generation Apple TV, which is a little bit flaky and it feels kind of old in the tooth because we still have that endless row of icons. So they haven't really doubled down on trying to redo a lot of the interface elements and the things that are starting to feel dated. But it makes me wonder if they aren't just sort of keeping that in the wings to you know push out a major update somewhere down the road. But perhaps that's just my internal sort of hope springing through there and saying, I really want a new Apple TV. 
because I've been using the Fire TV a little bit more recently, and I find that there are a lot of things to like about that. And Apple, none of that stuff is out of Apple's reach. They just haven't really put an effort into trying to beat the competition right now. So content is king, though, and you know having the exclusive access to HBO for live free or live uh, legitimate stuff that you can get without a cable subscription is a big win for them. And with the dropping the Apple TV price to put in as well, I feel like that might sell a lot of Apple TVs. Maybe they'll clear out their inventory so they can push out something new later this year. Uh, no, it's, it's certainly more than a, a hobby. Uh, it's the Apple TV would be a huge success compared to anything but an iPhone. Uh, the fact that Apple also makes the iPhone makes it look like a failure. I think what kind of distracts people is the fact that it's probably the only device in Apple's lineup that is that they that they nurture the way that pretty much every other tech company nurtures their own products where they, we, we have the, the debut of the Apple Watch and it's like there's been never anything better than what we are making now the Pope said we are tearing down the Sistine Chapel because we're ashamed to have something so stupid and tawdry it shares the world with the Apple Watch the whereas Apple TV is we have released this box we're going to produce incremental changes to it and make it a little better every single year by adding more, more services giving better hardware uh, uh, upgrading the user experience a little bit when they introduce the next Apple TV they and they, they never have to make it like a, a style thing there's never going to be a big news that we now have this available in four different finishes we've made the case thinner than possible it's just a black box you stick it out of the way because you actually don't want this to be a, f- a feature of your living room we just are going to keep making it better and better and better and keep uh, underscoring what an important thing it is to us and everybody else yeah, I, I think you guys covered it. Uh, I, I Like Dan, I share an optimism that there is a new Apple TV waiting in the wings and maybe the $69 price point for this. Uh, the advantage of having this old hardware is that Apple can afford, I think, to to cut the price and still make money on it. Plus, it's getting people into their ecosystem even more. I do hope that there's something that's a little more powerful, more responsive interface, and some software updates that's in the wings, too, uh, to make this even more exciting. But I've seen a couple people on Twitter just in the last couple of days saying, I finally, uh, one of our former colleagues, uh, Dan Armando, was saying that he finally convinced his girlfriend to buy an Apple TV. It was the $69 price that that pushed it over the edge. I think that's really interesting. So, um, uh, I, I uh, we'll see. I hope, I hope Apple TV keeps on uh, keeps on going and is uh, is uh, has improvements in the works this year. That that would be awesome. That's my topic. Sarah, what's your topic for us? The story is, is that Uber has announced, in fact, it announced this week on its blog that it's going to sign up one million female drivers by the year 2020. However, at least at this point, female passengers like myself would not be able to specifically request a female driver. And I think that's a little strange considering that Uber has gotten into hot water on many occasions. Um, one of the most uh, recent cases was in Delhi because a woman had, had claimed that she was assaulted and raped by a male Uber driver while, while she was taking a ride. I guess my question for all of you is, if it leads to more people using a service, why would you leave out a feature that would make people more comfortable even if not everybody is using that feature, Uber has added all sorts of features. You can you can you can hail all types of cars based on your mood at that particular moment. It it's it seems strange to me that Uber would sort of uh, rest on its hey we're improving uh, the safety features of our overall app rather than allowing women to specifically use a feature that they might really actually need in order to trust us. 
Well, it's an interesting question. I, I think, and I, certainly Uber, I think, is trying to do some damage control here because they have not had the best track re- record when it comes to women, both in terms of safety and in terms of some of the other, I think, attitudes that they've taken. Um, I wonder if some of it is also just, you know, I guess if you could, if women could request women drivers, would men be able to request women drivers, which seems also potentially dangerous. So maybe they, maybe they want to avoid getting into that sort of situation. But I agree with you that I think that it makes a lot of sense from the perspective of Uber's users to let them sort of tailor their ride to feeling safe and it's possible they might have to lock it down but at the same time then you have to prove is the person using that device a woman or a man or how do they identify gender wise and that potentially gets tricky too because it doesn't necessarily prevent people from lying you know you could have a man say they were a woman and request a woman driver or something like that i wonder if it just gets into too thorny of an issue for them and and that or you know to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt say maybe they're trying to test that and figure out what is the best way to implement that feature without opening the door to all these other sorts of can of worm problems. So it's possible that it's in the offing. I wouldn't be surprised in some ways because Uber does seem to at least be paying more attention and realizing it needs it needs to be very careful about how it is doing these things and take these safety concerns seriously. And I'm sure they'd rather implement a well thought out feature than something that is is kind of half baked and still leaves the door open to all sorts of uh, safety issues. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Uh, what what Uber if, if Uber, Uber were to allow women to select uh, female drivers, because um, the the automatic worry that you have is that, okay, well, gosh, if we're going to allow Uber to do things like that, why not allow people to say, I don't want any non-white drivers and I don't want someone who uh, the, who's uh, older and I want someone. It's, you do have to acknowledge that that's a, it's a very, very specific set of concerns that women will have in a certain, in, in really in, in any city that kind of trumps those kind of academic sort of things about, well, what if this is misabused for, for, uh, for bigotry? So I really have no problem with it. Any, it so long as... Uh, I'm sure that we're not positing a situation in which a certain customer wants to get a certain type of driver and has the right to get upset that that kind of driver is not available or that they're going to have to wait 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes for that kind of driver to become available. I'm sure that's not part of the discussion, but this is a situation in which I think that this is a very natural fit. If it makes people feel safer, then I'm all for it. I think it's a good start that they that they realize there's a problem. Uber's challenge has always been that the moves they make seem creepy and awful. And for them to make, I think they're motivated to make moves that that uh, send messages to their customers that they're responsive and they care and they understand what the issues are and they're working on them. So anytime that Uber uh, goes this direction and tries to communicate that they recognize that there's an issue when they're trying to deal with it. I'm actually kind of encouraged because some of their biggest problems were when they seemed to lack any perception that anything they were doing was wrong or that there might be issues with the people uh, using their service. So I'm I'm somewhat encouraged by that. I, 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 I mean, maybe this is just a, a baby step in the right direction. All right, that's two topics down. It's halftime. Uh, now it's time for our halftime sponsor. Our halftime sponsor is Chipolo. It's an item finder. If you've ever lost your keys or your phone and spent hours looking for them, uh, you know how frustrating that can be. This is a Bluetooth-based item finder. Chipolo is one of the leaders in Bluetooth-based item finder technology. It's got some cool and unique features. It's available in nine fun colors. It's got a shake and find feature, so you can shake the Chipolo tag and find your phone, which is pretty cool. It's got its own network that allows you to share it with others so that you can all track the same set of items. 
Chipolo has expertly designed. It's loud enough that you can actually hear it. It's got replaceable batteries so that you don't have to keep buying more, unlike other Bluetooth item finders. Um, it's a really neat device. It's a little brightly colored tag that you can put on uh, put on a keychain. You can attach it to a computer. Uh, all sorts of different uses for this thing. Stop losing your stuff. Use the power of Bluetooth and your smartphone to keep it all where you can find it. Get your own at Chipolo.net. That's C-H-I p-o-l-o dot net and thanks to chipolo for sponsoring clockwise dan half time's over what's your topic well of course the big news sort of i guess out of the apple event this week was an actual price and release date for the apple watch so i'm curious to know now that we've seen the full range of prices and options that are available how are we feeling about the apple watch is it just an overpriced device that focuses too much on fashion and not enough on function or is it super cool has all these great features and it would be a steal at twice the price andy what do you think yeah i'm i, I boy I'm, I'm at work myself uh, with this sort of stuff because in principle look if you've got the money to spend eighteen thousand dollars on a gold watch or a thousand dollars or nine hundred dollars for a stainless steel one Go ahead. And if, if it makes you happy, I shouldn't judge you for uh, for that making you happy. Um, I, I just have two different issues with the, the those two higher level watches. The one is the gold one where I don't believe Apple has ever said this is way this is an incredibly pricey device. And we have no justification for the extra money that we're charging for this. We're, we're typically Apple might make a thirteen hundred dollar uh, laptop that, in Windows terms, you could find something that's built about as well for three or four hundred dollars less. But they can make the case that look how well we've built this, and look at these really good fine touches—not just aesthetic fine touches, but we really address some of the limitations of this kind of design. This is why we're charging extra money for it. With the gold one, they're saying we took the watch that this the same hardware that we put into the four hundred dollar watch. We're putting about a thousand dollars. $1,500 worth of gold in it, and then we're tacking on twelve grand because we really feel as though you'll pay it if we ask you to buy that money. So that so that's really the level of my difficulty there. With the steel watch, there is a, I think there really is a perceived value that people attach to extra money. And when it's not a super luxury item, you start to say, what, what, these, this is going to be this person's very first smartwatch, probably. And the level of hype that's surrounding this is indicating, oh, my God, this is the revolutionary next thing. You really just, This is going to change your life in such a positive way. If you paid $400 for this, you have a certain level of expectations. That is, this, this is the least amount of money I can possibly spend on this. I feel as though a smartwatch can justify $400 worth of utility. Once you start paying $800 for it, and it's a stainless steel watch, and you compare it to a, another $800 stainless steel watch, and to my eye, it doesn't look quite as nice. It's not quite as interesting. Uh, you start to – I start to worry about people looking at this and saying, wow, I threw away a lot of money on a very average-looking watch that's really heavy, that has a lot of apps that's not terribly easy to use, assuming that you find it hard to use. And really, I really wish I'd spent $800 on a really, really nice conventional analog watch in, instead. Those are my concerns. But again, if you got the money for it, and I'm I'm not judging Apple for selling it. I'm not judging people for buying it either. I, I think the value question is really um, a good one. Um, I think we all get a little too caught up in the gold thing. And I, it's almost like f from aliens. Uh, aliens may buy a gold watch or a watch from an element that hasn't yet been invented. But for the rest of us, it's these, you know, I, I think 350, it's a really intriguing idea. I think there's also amazing bu buying psychology at work where you think, well, I like, I, I, I am willing to buy it for 350 and try it out. But then there's this, uh, the steel version looks really great. And so maybe I'll get that instead. And all of a sudden you 
turned around and you spent seven hundred dollars on, on an iPhone accessory, and you, what just happened? Um, but I'm, I, I, until I use it, and I feel like this is one of those things that doesn't demo well because in the demo area on Monday, you know, you're you're holding it up and sitting there and interacting with it forcibly for like a long period of time, and that's not how people are going to use this thing. So I, I I hate to say we're going to have to wait and see, but I'm I need to be convinced about whether I think somebody would 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 get three hundred fifty dollars of value out of it by using it and and seeing what changes it makes to how I use my iPhone. I think it's possible. I, it is a first generation product. I give cre- Apple full credit for making this so desire worthy as uh, an accessory that's a first generation iPhone accessory. You, I could roll my eyes at that, and yet I'm really intrigued by this product because they've done a great job with the materials. It looks beautiful. The software is intriguing, although we'll see how it handles day to day use. So I don't know. I think it's perfectly plausible that uh, 350 watch is worth the money. Once you start to get in six or $700, is it? You know, for me, maybe not, maybe. Um, f- but everybody's going to have a different budget and everybody's going to have different priorities. So I'm going to let them make that decision. I think the big question is how, how good is it as a product, period? And we don't know because other than the Apple employees who've been using it, you know, people ha- in the general public haven't been. So they just don't know. I think it's in the next few months, there's going to be a lot of aha moments, I think, even with people who decided, eh, I'm going to wait and not get this watch and just sort of see how it's changed in other people's lives. We're all going to have our phones on the table less when we go out to dinner together. Uh, you know, there'll be less phones stuffed into pockets when they don't really need to be stuffed into pockets because there will be the watches on the wrists. My specific issue, and yeah, let's, let's throw out that whole $10,000 version of a watch because I don't... I mean, I probably know three people who could even afford to do something like that. And even then it's like driving the red Ferrari onto your wrist in some sort of way. So kudos to them, anybody who can afford that sort of thing. But my specific issue is I really like the fitness aspect of wearables. I've tried all of the wearables and for whatever reason, none of them have really stuck with me, mostly because they broke, not because I didn't like them. But the Apple Watch, because Apple is is a design first kind of a company, even, even the, the base model, the sport model is still su- supposed to look really nice, have that extra oomph, ha- that, have that extra edge, that, that attention to detail that makes everybody say, okay, that's not a piece of junk. That's a really nice uh, piece of jewelry, in fact, that you've got on. I kind of put my iPhone right now through the ringer when I'm working out because that's really my best option because I kind of use the health app to track a lot of stuff. I love the idea of transferring that data onto something that I'm wearing on my wrist rather than holding it in a, in a, in a windbreaker pocket or that sort of thing. But it kind of works against itself because it's this nice piece of technology that, yeah, even $350 is a lot to shell out for something like this. And yet I'm doing something that's very not jewelry-like. I'm doing something that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm working out at Crunch Gym, for goodness sake. So there's there's maybe a psychological barrier that I'm having. Uh, and I think that's actually going to keep me from, from getting the watch until I get a little bit more feedback from other people. Yeah, I... I- Feel, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm locked in. I'm committed, but that's that's what I do. That's my life. So, um, as far as the mid-range one goes, especially the stainless steel model, which is sort of the standard model, uh, I don't know. Once again, I think that this will depend a lot, you know, much more on aesthetic taste than on functionality, because since there's no 
difference, you know, functionally between what the watches do uh, at the different levels, then there's no reason, you know, the only reason to buy a stainless steel watch is if you like the way it looks better. So, you know, if they feel like people are going to buy them, then uh, I think that that's the, that's the move they're making there. Uh, but it's at the same time, it's risky because it's possible that people will decide they just don't like the look of them or, you know, within a year they won't. I wore a pebble for, you know, several months and then sort of got frustrated with it and let it lapse and, and haven't really put it on since then. So maybe that'll happen with the Apple Watch too. I don't know, but it seems like I've I've committed to at least a $350 buy-in there. So thank you all for that, your, your incisive commentary on that. Um, Andy, do you have a topic for us today? Yeah. Um, the other uh, really great hardware product that Apple uh, unwrapped on Monday was the new MacBook. The new MacBook, nothing. It's so small and light. They did not have room or weight to put the word air after the word. Um, and a lot of people have been talking about the shall we say, unique features or lack of features or adjusted features they made in order to make it this thin and this light, which got me to thinking, MacBook aside, if someone has designed a machine specifically to be the lightest, smallest, most convenient notebook you can possibly get, what feature are you willing to trade off on for that size and for that weight? And what feature are you just not willing to negotiate on? Honestly, the one that the one that I have a hard time compromising on, I'm going to start there, is is power. I have a hard time with the idea that I that I'm going to have now a new power plug if I get this thing that's not a MagSafe plug, and that by doing that I have taken up my peripheral port, so that if I want to do anything, even temporarily to attach something, I have to unplug my computer and then plug a new thing in. I realize that if this thing can actually last all day, all I really need to do is change my use case and not be plugged in as much, and and I guess I can do that. But as a laptop user, I habitually, if I'm near an outlet and I've got my charger there i want to charge it so that if i need to leave and use the battery i'm fully charged rather than getting caught in a situation where i've been using it off the plug and now uh, my battery's at 20 percent and i need to leave and go somewhere so i think that that's my biggest problem in terms of the stuff that i'm 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 happy to give up um you know i'm i'm happy to give up a lot of extra ports if there is a docking solution for me um i'm i'm happy to give up i want it to be thin and light but i'm happy to give up um some processor power to get it to be lighter within reason um there are lots of things i'm willing to give up uh, especially since if i'm not docked to a computer you know a workstation all day but i'm just using it to roam i can give up on those features and not worry about it too much but the power thing bothers me yeah i am 100 with you on this i actually Recently, because I switched jobs and and it was a work computer that I had to turn in and then get another work computer, went from a beautiful Retina MacBook Pro um, that that Twit now has back in their possession to um, a non-Retina MacBook Air. And, And I did that on purpose because... I, I just, I, the MacBook Pro had kind of gotten heavy and I missed the mobility of having the air and I felt like, well, the retina was really nice, but you know, I'll be okay. Of course, because I have a, I have an older air and, and, and I honestly haven't even thought about it. So that was one of those things that I thought, well, this might be kind of an issue, but it wasn't one at all. The power is a huge one for me though. And there is something very odd to me about the fact that, yeah, if you've got one port and uh, you've got to use it for power. There's literally nothing else that you can do. Uh, charging your phone, for example, at the same time. I do that constantly, especially when I'm on the go or I'm, I'm, I'm really getting down to a little sliver on my phone. That sort of thing that, yeah, sure, it maybe doesn't come up every day, but when you really, really need to do something like that, it is 
extremely helpful. That is, it's strange to, to, to take away those sort of, um, uh, you know, in a pinch, in an emergency kind of moments uh, to me. I also, you know, I, I do a lot of walking. I wear a backpack. I, I want the, uh, the laptop that I have to be as light as possible. I want it to last as long as possible and I want it to be as light as possible. And yeah, when I'm, when I'm at work, um, I'm, I'm using a nice big cinema display. So for the most part, I'm not really looking at that screen, uh, the, the most of the time, but, but yeah, power, power is my number one. Uh, can't give that up. And it is odd to me that I'm having, uh, options taken away from me to power up, uh, some of my other devices. Well, yeah. And Sarah, of course, if you're using that nice big cinema display, you're going to have to find a way to connect it and keep your computer right at the same time, which means buying one of those adapters that Apple's selling for like 80 <laughs> bucks. So, you know, that's that's another problem, right? Like I, I, too, use my laptop hooked up to a big screen. And the fact that I won't be able to do that without an additional adapter and get power seems a little ridiculous. So I, I'm putting dollars to donuts that the next version of this MacBook that we see in, in a year or so has a second USB-C port on the other side, at least, because I just I don't feel like what are we sacrificing there at that point? It seems like if you can fit one USB-C port, you can at least fit a second one so you can power and attach a device at the same time. I'm glad they kept a headphone jack. There were a lot of rumors that they wouldn't. And uh, I feel like that's a that's a thing that really would have broken a lot of people there. Um, and so I think that's, that's something that's hard to give up, right? Because Bluetooth headphones have not cut on. Uh, they're expensive. They have their own batteries that you then have to charge, which you can't do because you're charging your laptop at the same time. Uh, so I think that the headphone jack is kind of maybe the limiting factor at a certain point. I'm sure Apple will try to get a, rid of it at some point, but uh, a lot of companies have tried that and failed. Uh, I, I find it a peculiar decision, and I'm not sure that I feel like the trade-off is quite worth it. I have an 11-inch Air, which measures in it like 2.38 pounds. So we're talking a third of a pound uh, on top of the existing MacBook. Am I giving? Is the stuff that I'm giving up to save that third of a pound really worth it? Uh, I feel like I have so many other options in terms of what I can connect because I have a Thunderbolt port and I have two USB ports. So at the moment, I don't as as nice it is as it is. I think Apple's obsession with thinness is definitely uh, causing it to lose perspective a little bit in terms of what people want to do. That said. I'm sure people will buy them because people really want the thinnest, sleekest, goldest laptops they can get. Yeah, I mean, I think you, that's exactly what, what I feel. I think that oftentimes Apple tries to make things thinner when you don't need a desktop computer to be thin, Apple. Wouldn't it be nice to have an SD card slot and a place on the edge of the screen instead of having to turn it around to get to the back of it? Um, but we're, when we're talking about a device that's specifically being sold for being super, super thin and portable, I'm, I, I think that's a, a fine context. In terms of what I won't negotiate on that's easy that's the keyboard uh if you because i i'm not just composing texts on this thing i am actually writing stuff on it and i'm amazed that so many even uh, premium brands they will skimp on a keyboard because they figure oh i can save some money here or we can make that flatter not knowing that this is where my fingers are every single moment that i'm actually using this is the most tactile part of the interface which is the reason why i'm kind of the reason why i was able to use my ipad as a primary computer when i travel for so much and the reason why i'm not a big fan of this uh, macbook pro that i I own because when I use my iPad, I'm using my Apple wireless keyboard that has big keys, full throw, exactly the same keyboard you get with the iMac. And they made the keyboard on the MacBook Pro thinner for really no reason, but we wanted to make the case like four millimeters thinner than it would normally be. And as, as far as what I would be willing to trade off on a device like that, 
that's a little bit harder. Uh, I want to say CPU because I'm not going to be using a device like that to edit video or do anything other than, you know, the four R's of, uh, of, uh, of away from my office computing. But I think it would come down to the screen. I don't think I need a retina screen for, again, the things I'd be using a 12-inch notebook for, an ultra, ultra, ultra-light notebook for. And then when you extend that out, you realize that, well, if you're, if you're not going to have a retina screen, that will give me extra battery life, too. And that means I don't have to have quite so powerful a CPU to drive that display. And it has a really nice knock-on effect. But mostly it's that that's the one thing that if you swap out a retina display for a non-retina display on a device like that, that's the last thing I will ever notice. Time for our bonus question really quickly. Our bonus question sponsored by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash clockwise. That's lynda.com slash clockwise. The membership gives you unlimited access to training on hundreds of different topics from income tax fundamentals, growth hacking, typography, Excel, software, skills. It's all there. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert or just passionate about a hobby, visit lynda.com slash clockwise and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you to Lynda for sponsoring the bonus topic on Clockwise. Okay, here's the bonus topic. What is a a one luxury item that if money was no object, you actually wish you could have? Not a $10,000 Apple Watch, unless that's the thing that you want. Is there one thing that you always think, yeah, if I had all the money in the world, I'd buy that? All the money in the world is too overwhelming for me. So I'll just go ahead and say, if I had, oh, a little over $100,000, I would definitely buy one of those new Tesla Model S's. (laughs) Nice. Dan? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go in the car vein too. Aston Martin DB10. Oh, wow. I think that's Johnny Ives' car. Andy? <laughs> I also have to say Tesla S because it's a luxury-priced item, and I cannot, as someone who works out of my house, I cannot possibly justify having a luxury car. I was going to say Tesla, too, so instead I'm going to say a, va- <laughs> I'm gonna say a vacation home in Hawaii because, oh, nice. but, you know, because I can't drive my Tesla S there. Uh, that was great. This has been a great show. I want to thank uh, Sarah Lane, your first time on the show. You were great. Uh, well, come thanks. back sometime. It would be nice to have you back again. Uh, anytime. This was really fun. I'd, I'd love to. And Andy Anako, thank you for your first time on the show. You are one of our two best guests on this show. <laughs> uh, can, may I ask a follow-up? Okay, no, I won't. Go. Th- thank you very much for inviting me. I had a spell, spell time. And that's it for this week's Clockwise. Dan, pleasure as always. It's been real fun, Jason. And I uh, will remind everybody out there once again in as least a threatening way as possible. Watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.